welcome to the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host, and it's a brand new year, 2017, and a brand new season, season seven. Now, if you've just discovered the Fertility Podcast, a bit about me, I had fertility treatment in 2014, and my little boy, Phoenix, was born in 2015. My background is in broadcasting, and I just felt that there was a gap for audio content, podcasts, about fertility issues. So for the last two years, I've been making podcasts, speaking to people like you who are on a fertility journey, whether you've started fertility treatment or you've found out you need it, whether you've been trying for a good while and you're weighing up what your next options might be. Maybe you're an expert in the field. I speak to experts from clinics, from well-being areas, and also organisations like Fertility Network UK who are doing all that they can, providing support and information for people who have found their route to parenthood isn't as straightforward as you might have hoped. Now, for 2017, I've got all sorts of ideas for the Fertility Podcast. And from a subject point of view, I'm looking to not just cover fertility treatment and infertility. I'm also going to be looking at surrogacy at adoption and I cover childlessness at the end of 2016. I'm going to look at that a bit more and if there are areas that you're interested in that um, you think you'd like to hear more on, do drop me a line. I'll give you my email at the end of this podcast. I'm going to introduce a brilliant young lady called Tasha who's 19 and has an amazing project that she's created as a result of finding out at a very early age that she was going to have a struggle as far as having children. So I'm going to let Tasha tell her story and I'll give you all the details of how you can find out more about her and me at the end of the podcast. Enjoy. I'm going to welcome Tasha Bishop who is 19 years old. I found her on Twitter and Tasha has a fascinating story and an amazing project that she's launching this December. So Tasha, welcome to the podcast. Good morning because we're speaking early in the morning. How are you doing? Good. Now you're 19 and four years ago you were diagnosed with a condition that I want you to talk to me about because the moment that you were diagnosed I imagine it was a whole mixture of emotions because for most of your kind of pubescent life, things hadn't been right, had they? I think more than anything, it was the sh- I think it was the shock because obviously you can't see it, you know, it's something that's inside you. But I think when you're growing up sort of surrounded by however many other girls were in my year and everyone's getting their period at like 13 or even younger than that. And I, I'd, I'd always been quite like, womanly and compared to a lot of my friends and I was genuinely didn't have a clue what was going on and I I really thought like so many people were like oh it's it's just because you're stressing about it or, or it's this or it's this. So just to explain you never you never started your periods? No not at all so I never had a period but everything else kind of completely developed and I think the funny thing about MRKH is everything looks completely normal on the outside so there really are no signs whatsoever so I think when people find out that's kind of why it's such a shock also I think you build yourself up to because so many people told you it's something really menial and then when they tell you it's this quite big thing that's been missing from your body since you were born it's quite um yeah shocking so let's explain so at 19 you were diagnosed with Maya Rokitansky syndrome it's not the full name is it Maya Rokitansky Kusterhauser syndrome is that right yeah MRKH, which affects one in 500,000 women and basically means that you were born without a womb. So not something that would be apparent unless this kind of specific investigation was done. Was it quite an invasive 
investigation that took place? I mean, initially it wasn't. Initially it was just kind of emotional. And then because I think because it's so rare, like my GP didn't really have a clue what kind of what was going on. She had to Google it, literally, and worked out what thing it was. And that's when you undergo so many like tests and scans and everything. Um, And I think I had two ultrasounds an MRI scan like lots of people's kind of touching you and like feeling your abdomen and then I had a hormone test as well and whilst this was all going on was there any talk about any counseling or support for you to talk to someone about what you were feeling or how was your relationship with your folks not for a long time actually like obviously my mom's like one of my best friends so we get on amazingly she was really 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 sort of beyond supportive um, but I think actually it was quite hard for my mum as well because because it's so rare and people don't know anything about it like they don't know why it, why it happens or anything and I think for a long time my mum really blamed herself and my dad as, as well probably um, but my mum really really blamed herself and but she was still incredibly supportive and like all my all my girlfriends were really supportive um, but yeah when I first found out I didn't really get any kind of medical support um, mentally for quite a while I think because it took so long to kind of diagnose and pinpoint and then when I when they did pinpoint it they forwarded me to the Queen Charlotte's Hospital in London who were amazing really amazing so that's kind of when it all turned around. Now the meaning of having this this syndrome means obviously birthing a child is something that I don't think it's impossible from the, the fertility clinics I've been to, but it's something that is very involved and will involve fertility treatment, which you probably now understand more about. And, and as far as having a sexual relationship, that in itself meant surgery. Yeah. So some people have surgery and some people have dilation, which is basically inserting this kind of shape into you to like stretch out your vagina and you have to do that for a few hours three times a day was that horrendous that's, yeah that's what, you, that's what that's what you did that sounds utterly horrendous because I, I was quite sad to um read when you wrote to me how you describe yourself as half human this half empty space um and going through all of this process that you're having to do to try and have a normal sex life how did that make you feel really I think because like obviously when I found out I was 16 and I'm only 19 now I think I wasn't even though having kids has always been like something I just thought would happen like I think some people are very kind of driven towards like motherhood and that was something I always always wanted and I've always loved kids and so I think when I found out about that yeah it was like kind of heartbreaking that it was this big complicated issue but for me at the time I think like my sexual life was a a lot more kind of at the forefront of things all my friends were you know losing their virginity and blah, blah blah that was a big deal and to be told that you can't do that as awkward as losing your virginity is you can't do that naturally because you have to go and you know stretch your vagina or whatever and the whole family knows about it and everyone knows about it and it's just this whole massively awkward thing um I can imagine. Well, I can't imagine, but it just sounds horrendous what you'd have to... There's stuff that you'd have to talk about that would never normally be talked about with your family. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I really struggled with because obviously like, issues around fertility and infertility, 
you can't most people just a don't find out till they're trying to have a child anyway when they do it's like not something that's affected them in that way so I think when you find out at 16 it's this you've just been told this huge huge thing and you probably don't even know how to deal with it and then it's like this other thing thrown on top to do with sex that's just like another issue. I mean talking to you you sound really confident and I know you've had a a couple of years now to deal with it but how did it affect your confidence and affect you know boyfriends? Really massively I think I was 16 so that was my GCSE year and so then I had like my GCSE summer and everything and I don't know like whether you remember anything but GCSE summer is like a big a big deal I guess and that's when I remember oh yeah I remember yeah (laughs) and loads of people like I don't know lose their virginity or whatever and I just remember every time I went to like a GCSE party or something I felt so uncomfortable and I didn't want to wear clothes that like showed any body parts or anything so I just felt really like dirty and inhuman and I don't know I know that probably doesn't make sense because I should have been looking after myself a bit more but yeah I know it was it was pretty pretty tough and I think at 16 you're not really mentally equipped to be told all of that stuff so I didn't really deal with it for quite a long time and it wasn't until I actually met my boyfriend now who's a saint um that I actually had kind of time to deal with everything because I would have thought having a conversation that you would have had to have had with your boyfriend must have been terrifying it's hard enough approaching the talking about sex when you're when you're young um and and you had to tell him a whole load of stuff and like you you describe him beautifully in what you wrote to me about how he was like early mornings and moonshine which I just think is divine it's so apparent you're an English literature student um and so you you told him and he he took it on board and and the pair of you just 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 went with it I'm assuming yeah he was really really amazing I think I don't know whether it's a girl boy thing but I really wound myself up but I remember for days I was like I'm gonna have to tell him at some point and I've been thinking about it for days and days and I got into this massive stress about it and he was with me one day and he was like what is wrong with you and I told him everything and he was like well I don't understand how that's such a big deal and I think that's what was so important for me is it wasn't it just wasn't a big deal for him at all and he was he never ever talked about it he was never like oh I'm like bored of waiting or whatever he was just so patient you found yourself a keeper there love I know (laughs) yeah definitely so let's let's move forward to the summer of your A-levels and you decide to go and have treatment that would enable you to have sex which we've talked about which sounds horrendous and I don't want to go through it in too much detail because you've described it as very painful and traumatic however it was here where you met this amazing Liverpudlian nurse who you've described as your savior tell me what she said to you I love her (laughs) she's called Nula and she is the most amazing person she is just so positive and full of like light and energy and she was so like gentle and everything she really I think you can with any kind of issue that involves hospital I think it's really easy to feel kind of like a number and like a figure and like you're not really human anyway and I think especially with MRKH I really felt that and I felt the actual act of going to hospital was quite stressful um but when I was there she was just so lovely and supportive and 
obviously she's with me throughout the day when I'm doing all this dilation and, and everything. And we have the most ridiculous chats about everything. And I remember talking about like sex and how worried about it I was and and nervous and how, you know, I was 18, all my friends had done it like what felt like years ago. And she was like, oh, what you have to do is get yourself a good pair of pants. And honestly, it's the most powerful thing in the world. And it really, I know that really stuck with me. And I remember buying myself a pair of underwear afterwards. And I still have them now. And they are very special to me, I think. That it's some kind of sort of armour in a way. And and from there, the Pants Project was born. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, lingerie is, it took me quite a long time. I think I was the start of my 20s and I met a friend who said you should always have matching underwear. And before that, it hadn't really been something that I, I did. And then from that day, that was what I did. And it is a special thing. And it is something that's, um, and I think there's a misconception that, you know, lingerie is for the man, whereas it, it, it can make you feel incredible, especially when there's shit going on down there. Completely. So you, you've, you've, you've created this amazing project to raise awareness of issues affecting fertility. Um, and you're selling pants, but you're not just selling pants because you're selling gorgeous, gorgeous designer pants from a whole host of different designers. You've got a really brilliant list of people on board. How, how did you manage to get um, so many different people on board? <laughs> I just kind of, I remember coming up with like the idea of my mum and she was like, don't let this become another kind of stress thing. Like if you're going to do it, it's going to be because it's going to be cathartic for you and it's going to be something that you find empowering. And so I just kind of went in very relaxed and I think actually being a bit young and ballsy kind of <laughs> helps a bit, but I just didn't really feel that intimidated by it. And I remember emailing like whoever, I think, I don't think we've released a list yet, so I'll keep that a secret. But um, yeah, no, I literally just went in and I went on their websites and I found, basically just drew up a list of lingerie design, British lingerie designers who I thought were really special and emailed them all. And what was actually so surprising is the amount of people who came back to me and said, this is amazing. I've got polycystic ovary syndrome or I've got this and I struggled with fertility myself. Genuinely, that was, I'm not joking, about half of the people that I emailed, which was bizarre, really. But yeah, I just kind of went for it and started emailing people and people kept coming back to me and saying, this is an amazing idea and we really want to be involved. So it just kind of grew like that slowly to this point now. <laughs> so profits are going to go to Fertility Network UK, which is brilliant. And you're also holding a Valentine's weekend launch party. So does that mean we're waiting till February before we can get our hands on your knickers? No. So basically, we, <laughs> we have an online collection, which we launched on the 1st of December. Um, which uh two designers Fleur of England um who's amazing and she struggled with fertility herself um and she yeah they've donated their signature bow brief which is on our website and then Isidore Intimates who is a lovely lovely girl she has donated all of her briefs so 25% of all of her um pants on her website go towards UK, and then there's also a necklace on our website that one of my oh, well, one of my mum's. It. It's fab. The pants. Yes. Necklace. Lovely. Yeah. Um. So that's there as well. Um. So yeah, we've got. We wanted to have kind of start things off and be able to people be, be able to get Christmas presents and people from all over the world can kind of do it as well. So I've obviously got so many friends that are like scattered around the world. Be a shame to only be able to 
buy pants at the auction. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of the internet, isn't it? Far-reaching world of the internet. Well, look, I'm going to put the details of the pantsproject.com on the show notes and let's keep in touch because it's brilliant and just well done with everything that's been going on thank you you too lovely to talk to you bye so to find out about Tasha's Pants Project just go to the show notes thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Tasha I've put links to her website her Twitter and also uh, a brilliant interview that I did with Anna Carby who's a doctor at Boston Place Clinic in London who has a specialism in women who are diagnosed with what with Rokitansky syndrome. If you'd like to get in touch with me, just email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. And if you go to thefertilitypodcast.com, you can subscribe to my newsletter, which is going to have more stuff going on this year. Yes, 2017 is the year for exciting news from the Fertility Podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes. And if you like, even leave me a review, which is always lovely. So I hope this has been of use. Do share it on if you'd like to. And do make sure you're signed up so you don't miss an episode. Until the next time.